He says, if you leave here today, you may never have a chance to ask for forgiveness again, and you could possibly go to hell. But what he didn't realize is I had just gotten to my squadron, HS5. They make you fill out a top 10 goal sheet in your squadron. My number one goal was get out of the military alive. Helicopter crashes are a real deal and you die. That was my number one. I just want to get out of this thing alive. I can't believe I signed up to be a rescue swimmer. This is crazy. It's fun and exciting, but I'm also a level-headed kind of guy. I mean, I'm the life of the party, but I also have a few brains, I think. Other people would tell you different. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Okay, we are back. It's uh, it's me, Pastor Adam. Glad that you are here with us, and it's you listening to us out there in podcast land. We're so glad to have you join us once again on the VBPH Sermon Podcast, and we're back with Testimony Tuesday. Once again, we're getting some great feedback from our uh, from our exclusive chat room uh, on WhatsApp. We want to thank you, all of you who are uh, subscribed to us there, and uh, even just today. As we're recording this, uh, we had a few guys on there talking about how how uh, they really love these Testimony Tuesdays, and I must say it's it's also my favorite my favorite part of the week is uh, to be able to interview some pastors from around our church, and it's really a great blessing for me. Hope it is for you as well. And so today we are wonderfully privileged and very grateful to have with us Pastor Kevin Baker, all the way from Stark, Florida. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Dragoon. Hey, it's a it's a great privilege to be here, to be invited to come on to your podcast and and uh, just let my testimony. Uh, I hope my testimony will touch somebody out there. And, uh, you know, we're from the Midwest who got called to the poor state of Florida and uh, where it's always sunshiny down here. And so anyway, we're we're just love Jesus and we're we're blessed to be in Florida. Amen. Well, uh, that seems like the place to be these days, huh? Yeah, yeah, we're we're hoping that Ron DeSantis runs for governor, but I mean runs for president, but we'd hate to lose him as our yeah. governor. That's the problem. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you don't know who you're going to get after that. It can oh, only go downhill, all, right? That's right. They're going to lift all the mandates now that the uh, midterm elections are here. So, hey, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, uh, but uh, w- without, <laughs> I almost did it. Almost got diverted into politics. <laughs> that's right yeah but i'm gonna i'm gonna refrain uh because that's we want right. we want to use this time to to dive in and hear about you and where you came from uh we know that you're pastoring in stark florida for how long now i've been 21 years 21 wow, years. 21 years and uh great work of god there you've got some churches out you've got disciples and uh so 
how did you get to this amazing place? Where, where, what is your origin story? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Oklahoma, <clears throat> a little bit of Oklahoma, a little bit of Kansas. Um, I, was, uh, I was an orphan of the state of Oklahoma until I was 13 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm already curious. How did that happen? Well, my, my mother was not a, uh, it's kind of funny how it all worked out. I mean, it's not, but it is. I did get to meet my birth father and my birth mother later in life. Um, I met them about uh, seven years ago uh, and they passed away actually um, maybe five years ago. So um, I got to ask all the questions, you know, in life, I'm 50 years old or I'm 49. My wife, Fawn, she's 50. I like to put that out there, you know. <laughs> For four months. Not that anybody's know, counting, right? No, 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 but I am. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I got to ask her all the questions, you know, as a kid, but um, she, they were into drugs. You know, I was, I was born in 1972, uh, 69, the, the revolution. That's when our fellowship started, you know, the Jesus People Movement. And, and the young people back then were into drugs. And, and my birth mother said, you know, I hate admit this but drugs were more important to me at the time and and when I lived in Kansas they took you to Oklahoma to your relatives there and I just didn't have the drive to fight to get you guys back and so wow. we stayed in the we stayed in the system there until <clears throat> until we were 13 we lived uh, my wife and I counted it up I lived in probably 30 different homes by the time I was 13 so uh you know understanding your past will help you tackle the future. Okay. So, you know, I can, uh, uh, when somebody is, is uh, dealing with the spirit of rejection uh, because of my past, I, of course I deal with rejection. I can, I can internalize and not let people get close because of my past. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would move into one home and then, uh, you know, six months later or even three months later, they would come and move me to another home. And, mm. and, uh, and so that has a toll on a little kid, you know, no kidding. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> when I got adopted at 13, <clears throat> my father was actually a minister. Um, and, uh, when we lived in Enid, Oklahoma, we would go to their church and, uh, he started out, uh, probably when I was six or seven as the, uh, as the children's church leader. And so, uh, but there were five siblings and they couldn't, they were a young couple and couldn't adopt five kids. So at 13, when the state of Oklahoma decided to split us all up, mm. uh, they came in and, and asked if I wanted to become a baker. I used to be Kevin Johnson. And when I was 13, I became Kevin Baker. So life took a drastic turn for me. Wow. Uh, my birth family, um, uh, all of the cousins in my birth family have been to prison, every one of them, yeah. but, but uh, me and my sibling. And so it's kind of funny. There were five of us siblings and all of us never went to prison. We've raised our kids. We've, uh, uh, you know, because of our background and not having hope as a kid, we wanted our kids to have hope. I mean, it's wow. really crazy. And we were all, uh, I didn't meet my birth brother, my birth sisters till I was uh, 40 years old, about uh, 41 years old. So that's about nine years ago, eight years ago. So wow. uh, but then we all met each other and found out where each other was. And, and so we were estranged for about 25, 30 years like that. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. 
So what, so, what yeah. was it like for you to adjust from like bouncing around like a pinball into this, uh, into this uh, minister's home? Thank God they, they loved Jesus at the time, I think. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because uh, at 16, I moved out. Um, mm. No, I just, I, I was rebellious and they, 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 uh, and I've called them and, and, you know, you have these moments, you know, where God speaks to you. And I've said, you know, thank you so much. Because without them depositing what they put into me at that age, uh, the church they went to was just like, kind of like our fellowship church. It was called the Globe Ministries. And we would go, you know, street preaching and we would go uh, uh, walking up and down the drag strip and witnessing, handing out tracts and not, inviting not people to church. And, and uh, you know, um, so, come, you know, that helped put something into me where, and as a, you know, from 13 to probably 16, 16 and a half, I, I, I truly think I was saved. You know, I look back on it and I was, I was truly, I had had an experience, but then um, hanging out with the wrong crowd, listening to the wrong frequencies of life and, and uh, that kind of thing led me to the, to, to the, you know, where, I knew that my dad was anti-stuff, I guess, you know, like um, uh, my kids know. And now, you know, so anyway, my my kids know I don't like long hair. So they grow their hair out when they turn 18. Oh, right? yeah. Okay. So, they do. You know what I'm they saying? Do what dad doesn't like, right. Yeah. You know, dad's been governing me a lot in my life. So I knew my dad didn't like an earring. So when I turned 16, I went right out and got an earring and got home <laughs> and dad said, you go or the earring goes. And. And uh, we're not, it's not negotiable. Wow. And so I, you know, and he was trying to probably call my bluff because uh, I'm a 16 year old kid. Where am I going to go? Right. And so I, I said, okay, I'll go. I owned a Volkswagen bug. Um, that was mine. I had a paper route and I bought it with my own money. And so I thought, well, I'll just leave, you know? And so it wasn't hard for, I mean, it was, but it wasn't hard for me because I'd pretty much been independent my whole life. Yeah. You know, I know that sounds crazy, but uh, we, uh, we, we were just tossed around and, and our child, our upbringing was not good. Mm. Uh, it was not good at all. We were left to ourselves a lot. Yeah. And so it wasn't that big of a deal to uh, move into my Volkswagen. I finished high school. Uh, <clears throat> I was a college, uh, in high school. I, I uh, sang, I joined the choir, was in the show choir, played football. So I, you know, I was torn between my, uh, my family when I got adopted as a baker they are predominantly sports people. Okay. So my dad played semi-pro soccer. My little brother played soccer. Uh, my little sister was a cheerleader. Um, you know, and so, of course, when you get adopted and everybody is into sports, you play sport. So yeah. I joined the football team, uh, played defense, and uh, but my but I really liked to sing. It was kind of a, an escape. For me, I probably wasn't any good at it, but it was an escape for me. And so, uh, out of high school, I got a college scholarship to sing. Wow! And I, to, and I went to college, full ride scholarship. Well, that's so, not even uh, half bad. Living out of a Volkswagen. That's right. Yeah, Volkswagen Bug. And and uh, now, my senior year. Um, so I moved in. I stayed with friends. You know, my junior year and finished my junior year. I worked as a, a farmhand in between that summer and then my senior year started 
bounced around from friend to friend, you know, and then uh, uh, long story short, my, my, uh, my now mother-in-law saw me sleeping uh, in town in the Volkswagen. And she said, you're not going to be living in a Volkswagen. You come to my house and sleep in the spare room. And so I actually moved in with my mother-in-law and Fawn and uh, lived with them to finish my senior year out. And, um, and then we went to college. Fawn was a cheerleader at the college we went to. We went to Northern Oklahoma College and she got a scholarship for that. And I got a scholarship thing. And uh, so while we were in college, um, got our, uh, I got an associate's degree in communication. Um, I wanted to be a dish jockey. That was my goal in life. Okay. So, That's interesting. Fawn, Fawn was in nursing school. And uh, so long story short, uh, probably a million dollar call. Yeah. Oh, it's me, Esposa. Yeah. Let me uh, pause this. Let me pause this for a second. And we're back. So we uh, uh, I moved in with them. We finished high school, went to college, had a full ride college scholarship. And, uh, and so I had my books, board, and tuition. I lived right there on the college. Uh, we got, I got my uh, associate's degree. And, uh, and Fawn was, was in nursing. She was, she was in college for interior design, but we had to get, it, we had to grow up quick. So uh, she went to nursing school. She went to a 13 month nursing school program. Okay. And I went, and I went straight to work. I worked it with her family in the oil field. Wow. And so the oil field, they paid you really good money. You worked really hard and life yeah. was really, uh, bad and so we bought our first house at 19 years old wait 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 so did you did you get were you married at this point not yet okay not yet but working on we're, it we're working on it we're um so of course i'm just a sinner you know i'm I'm backslidden at this point at right 16 right. and a half when i moved out of my dad's house that was it for me uh and i'll be honest with you I, uh they they raised me knowing um that grace is not a license to sin Mm, that, right. that there is no greasy grace you're either right or you're wrong there's no in between right and so i knew that so when i backslid i was like well i'm going to hell anyway yeah you know Might there's well no sense in playing the game so um that's what i did and we i partied and and uh smoked dope and and did crystal meth and mm. and uh weighed about 135 pounds and worked every day in the oil field and Fawn graduated from nursing school. She became a critical care nurse. Uh, we bought our first house. I guess I was almost 20, 19. Okay. Uh, uh, we grad I graduated uh, degree, went and to then, work, worked about six months, maybe. She graduated from the nursing school. And, uh, and it was an associate's degree. It wasn't anything, you know, uh, right home about 30, 30 hours, I think, something in well, so obviously there was some interest between the two of you. Yeah, and and uh, so so uh, we lived together as a married couple, um, you know, just like a married couple. She went to work, and I went to uh, uh, work, and we came home. We made lots of money. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was not that much of a partier. You know, I was the partier. I was the life of the party. Uh, I, my friends always came over. She always just tried to. Uh, you know, just tried to keep things going and 
and uh, and I loved her and she loved me. I'll tell you a uh, so it came to the point where um, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to ask her to marry me. So we were 20, uh, 21 years old. We lived together three years um, in that house. So it's about about 20 and a half, maybe. Anyway, I'm not good with time because just time <laughs> runs together for me. But uh, so uh, my mother went to uh, Zales Jewelry Store with me. And uh, because I didn't even know how to write a check, I, I, I probably I mean, at the mall, right? It was at the mall. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it was the early nineties, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's about 92, I think 92. And, uh, so 93, something like that. And so she, uh, mom helped me, uh, write the check. I picked the ring out. Um, mom helped me write the check. It was my money, but you know, my checkbook, but she helped write the check or our checkbook. So I went to, uh, and this, you know, I, I just tell these stories. I don't mind, you know. Uh, so we went to a restaurant and sat down. And all the ladies that listen to your podcast are going to judge me right here. But I really, <laughs> Thankfully, it's God, not that many. <laughs> yeah, God, God, uh, God will, uh, you know, the men are just going to shake their head and be like, oh, my God, bro. Uh, so we sat down at the table, and I looked at her, and she always wore a panda uh, she had a panda gold coin ring on her ring finger, which is what she always wore. And so I sat down. I'm not very romantic at all. You know, not that guy. Um, I tell the, I tell my kids I've kissed her nine times. You see what happens when I kiss her. We have nine children. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, uh, we sit down at the restaurant and I tell her, Hey, uh, uh, don't you think this ring would look better? So I break out the little ring, you know, and she says, are you asking me to marry you? And I said, kind of, I guess. Yeah. But her grandmother, we'd go to her grandmother's house and her grandma would say, he ain't never going to buy the cow if you're giving him the milk for free, Fawn. You know that. (laughs) You know, they were old school and they didn't really care for us living together. And and uh, it was just kind of a weird, weird situation. Of course, my family, you know, my, my birth, my, my, the bakers, they weren't into it at all, but Fawn would talk to them. And I was kind of more ashamed, okay. I guess, maybe yeah. because of our living arrangements and knowing that uh, mom and dad didn't condone those arrangements and didn't condone that lifestyle. So I just stayed away because I had a little brother and sister. And so on purpose, I stayed away. I never went to, uh, didn't go to Christmases and I didn't go to uh, Thanksgivings and I did that on purpose because I didn't, I knew that sin was contagious mm-hmm. and I didn't want to, I wanted my brother and sister really to make it, you know, if I was going to be too dumb to make it, maybe they could make it because okay. I knew, yeah. you know, yeah. I did learn that in three years that I was going to church. It was a, it was a really good church that had standards and morals and, and I knew it. And so, but I was just ashamed. And I mean, I talked to my mom, like she helped me go get the wedding ring. She was real excited about that. But as far as, they never would come over to our house and never oh, wow. would, you know, they just, they drew that line and I yeah. knew that line was there. And, um, so anyway, uh, I told Fawn sitting at the table, I said, uh, I'd like for you to marry me, but if you ever leave me, I'm going to kill you graveyard dead. And whoever you leave me for, I'm going to kill them too. Ooh. Because I get, I get married one time and that's it. Yeah. That's serious. I'll, I'll live with you for the next 30 years. But if we get married, everyone has left me my whole life. If right. we get married, 
that and you leave me, I'm going to kill you. Mm. And I was serious. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have, but in my 20 year old brain, yeah, I yeah, was yeah. Trying to, you know, I was trying to, that was your way of her. expressing yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, sharing your feelings. About, yeah. We didn't talk about my feelings. We didn't talk about, yeah. uh, you know, we would be at the mall and there would be an aunt come up because my birth family lived in Enid, Oklahoma. And my adoptive family lived in Enid, Oklahoma. Okay, right. So I might have an aunt come up and say, uh, hey, uh, Kevin, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in 10 years. And we would walk away and Fawn would go, is that a birth aunt or is that a... So, you know, we just never talked about it. It was just right. something we never talked about. Feelings, I never, I never, you know, we never talked about feelings. We just didn't live by our emotions. We lived because, hey, I like you, you like me, you're working, I'm working, we're making money. Let's buy a house. We bought a house, blah, 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 blah. You know, we just, we never did live by our emotions because if I would have, I probably would have been a basket cake. Right. You know, so I wake up one morning. We, we were married about a year. Lauren came into the picture, my daughter, uh, after about a year. Uh, she, she, we, we didn't get married because we had kids or anything. We were very careful, you know, we, uh, as live ins or whatever, you yeah. know, we counted the calendar and, we we're very careful about not having a child out, you know, I don't know. It's just really weird. Okay. We were just, we were just somebody was smart about it. Yeah. We were, you know, it's not, um, so, uh, after, of course, after we got married, we had bought our house. Then Lauren came in the picture of my daughter. She's the oldest. And I just woke up one morning and had a, had a, you know, an epiphany. Um, gosh, my, my mother was the juvenile officer of our hometown, which was like, the sheriff she's like the juvenile sheriff for real she has a badge wow you know she runs the juvenile department you know and so um uh, when you call the police as a juvenile she gets called or her people you know and so i was talking to my wife i was talking to fawn and i said if mom ever comes over here she's gonna have me arrested because i got dope and, and mm. that's just the way mom was she just, yeah it's like dad said you go the earring goes and that's the way it was and uh, they just no nonsense. They raised us no nonsense, you know, for three years. Your yes is yes and your no is no and you live right and you're not right. There's consequences. Right. So right. uh so anyway, Lauren Lauren's born. We bought our first house. I wake up one morning and I said, Fawn, I am way smarter than where I'm at in life. <laughs> okay. I, I mean uh, so where 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 do you think that came from? The Holy Ghost? Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, it had to be because I was smoking dope regularly. I was doing crystal meth. Uh, my my friends were doing crystal meth and they were shooting it up, but I am definitely scared of needles. And so I was snorting it like cocaine. And I had, I was to the point where I was putting cotton balls up my nose and Vaseline and and my nose would bleed a lot. And, and I weighed 135 pounds and, um, we were working every, I was working every day. She was. But life was just a drag, man. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. It was just, we had a, two cars in the garage. We we had a, a home that we were, you know, we had bought. And uh, we were young, made lots of money. And just, I don't know, life was a drag. I didn't yeah. have no hope. So I, uh, so her brother was a recruiter in the Navy in Oklahoma City. He was on oh, recruiter. Okay. Here comes the military. Right. So uh-huh. her brother was a recruiter in the Navy, and I hated the military because I was on drugs. 
Oh, wow. But I sat up on the edge of my bed and I'm trying to find a way out of here. I'm trying to, in my brain, I'm trying to rationalize, okay, how can I do this without hurting my mom and dad? How can I go to drug rehab without hurting my mom and dad? Because in Enid, Oklahoma, the Baker name is, is the very, it's a, a, you know, she's the juvenile officer. Everybody knows you. Uh, right. They adopted me when I was 13. They did something and took me in when nobody else would. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. All, all of this is playing out in my head. And I don't want to hurt them. Right. So if I join the Navy, I can go away for two years to a drug cessation program. Nobody will ever know the wiser and I'll come back. That hmm. was our plan. Okay. So I go to the recruiter station uh, with her brother and I just told them, I said, hey, I want to do something exciting and fun. Uh, my, my exact words were, I don't want to work around dumb people, <laughs> I don't, you know, cause he's trying to tell me how jobs work in the Navy. And I said, I don't want, I can't, I'm probably not going to do good around dumb people. So get me a job where I'm not around dumb people. So we go, we, uh, so they take me to take the ASVAB. I took the ASVAB and then, uh, we go to the MEP Center in Oklahoma City. They offer me rescue swimmer school. Mm. Um, can you swim? Yep. And so they offer me rescue swimmer school. I'll get an advancement upon completion of a uh, uh, rescue swimmer school. I get a, uh, make more money, and I got to take care of my family. So I'll do it. Nice. So I got back to the recruiter station, and the other recruiter in the office said, you did what? Don't you know there's California kids and East Coast beach bum kids, then they can't make it to rescue swimmer school? You're from Oklahoma. What makes <laughs> you think you're going to be able to make it in rescue swimmer school? Right. So I can swim. Yeah. Hey, no, no, you don't understand. You're, it's rescue swimmer school. There's California beach kids who spend their entire life on the beach and they don't make it through. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to make it through. And uh, so I shipped off to, uh, I shipped off the day the Oklahoma City bomb blew up in Oklahoma City, I enlisted in the military. Oh, wow. I remember that's the day I took off to go to uh, Timothy McVeigh, blew up the, uh, the Murrah building in Oklahoma City. Yep, All yep. the ceiling tiles fell out of the uh, MEP Center where we were at. Fawn was in the parking lot. Uh, wow. She, they rushed her inside, locked the place down. And uh, that was also my birthday. And that was my 21st, 22nd birthday. And uh, I shipped off to Great Lakes, Illinois. And uh, that's the day I went into the military. That is wild that all of that happens on the same day. All of that happened on the same day. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, 
Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. So then I get out, we, uh, I get out of uh, uh, boot camp. I've passed my rescue swimmer in dock. They do that the fifth week boot camp. And I get down to Pensacola, Florida and start rescue swimmer training. And we started 26 people in my class of that last four weeks and four of us graduated. And I was one of the four. One of only four. Wow. One of four in four weeks. It's a, it's a grueling class, man. It's oh, not for the right heart. I'm curious what, like, like what was so difficult about it? Uh, everything. <laughs> I mean, is it like on the level of like buds training and the, the Navy SEALs kind of? Our retention rate as a rescue swimmer is worse than buds. Of course, a lot more SEALs are out there, but they're, right. you know, our retention rate is about, about, it's worse than, than buds training. It is the worst the most in, in the Navy. I heard but somebody, yeah, I, I heard somebody talking about the buds training recently and I forget who it was, but um, they, they told me that basically they they will let you drown in their swimming training they'll they'll keep you underwater long enough and you will actually drown they'll have people there to resuscitate you so yeah, that they you don't do that die in rescue swimmer school too oh so my god they actually killed a kid in the class before us so um you know and and it was what they're trying to teach you in rescue swimmer school is they they run you to almost death give you a 15 minute break to get your swimming trunks on and then try to swim you to death yeah. And all they're trying to do is, is, is train you that when you're in the water, uh, you don't die. Because when you get in the water with somebody who's in the middle of the ocean, you're a big buoy to them. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to latch a hold of you. And as soon as they latch a hold of you, they can drown you. Right. And so you have to keep them at bay. And so they teach you. I've had a couple of my pastor friends, you know, I, I try to tell them in that swimming pool right there, that's my domain. You're, yeah. You're, you might be big, Myron Levitt. You might be bad. <laughs> but when we get in that swimming pool, I own you. Oh, yeah. Baker, come on. But they teach you yeah. that the, in, in the water, I can control you. And so, so uh, yeah, I mean, I can imagine. All about. Yeah, I can imagine because people are panicked. They're freaking out. They, they're thinking they're drowning. So you have to physically control people. Yeah. And so you put them in what they call ICIC and with then close and in control and control them. And so there's lots of different methods you can use. And so, uh, and so I get out of, I get out of rescue swimmer school. I go to my command, which is HS five, um, in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, oh, an important place. A very important that's called place. foreshadowing. That's right. And so, <laughs> uh, so I didn't get to choose my, I didn't get to choose my school. And the other part of uh, being a rescue swimmer is you you, you launch torpedoes. So, there's a brain side of it too, because you, uh, you, you know, every submarine in the world and you know how to track them according to what their sonar. And so, you know, you I know would how have to never put those two things together. AW is anti-submarine warfare. Okay. And what you do as a, as a helo AW 
is you are a rescue swimmer. Okay. Okay. So your primary job in, is AW, anti-submarine warfare. Okay. Your secondary job is rescue swimmer. So, but when okay. you get to your when you get to your squadron, all you do is rescue swimmer work. And every now and again, you drop a sub on, you know, you you ping on a sub and you keep that training up. Yeah. But your primary job is fly starboard delta when any time a carrier is underway and planes are being launched and recovered, there's a rescue swimmer out there. Anytime a Navy H-60, you know, they killed Osama bin Laden. Right. The Navy took the SEALs in there to do it. Yeah. On those helicopters were two uh, AWs. Uh, there was an AW piece on there uh, uh, putting those SEALs out. We worked real close with the, with the SEALs. Yeah. So anytime they trained, you know, we, we, we were their launch platform. Uh, we delivered them. They'd fast rope out of our helos. Uh, that's the best job I ever had in my life. Being wow. Able. Wow. It's the most exciting. I've done some of the most exciting flying you can ever do. Uh, you know, uh, I can imagine flown from here all, you know, to, uh, uh, to Fallon, Nevada at, at uh, 500 feet or less in a helicopter. Um, wow. Flown all over Australia, uh, all over Hawaii. Um, you know, just had some very, very. I loved the flying aspect of. Oh yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with that. No, so but the politics and everything else was what you know. And I was just telling somebody today. I, you know, that's probably the re. But the real reason was was God. So we'll get mm, to that point. Yeah. So, so but it, when you went into the Navy, you, you were already married, though, right? Yep. Yep. So. We were married. So now you are having to maintain a relationship. Uh, are, how much time do you spend at home versus out and about? Um, well, I was just telling. So the, when I joined the military and Fawn's brother got me on, the first letter I wrote was to Philip Choke, which is her brother. And I said, when I get out of here, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I, to me, this is not what it was. You, you, this is not what you said it was going to be. And anyway, uh, so we're, uh, we get stationed at, in, in Jacksonville and I'm in what they call, uh, uh, the number one air wing, air wing one. So I was stationed in HS five, but the fleet replacement squadron that taught you how to fly in your platform or taught you about the helicopter was HS one. Okay. Right. So for, for 13 months, all I did was learn how to fly in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. How, to, how to talk on the IC, how to run the equipment, how to, um, you know, the aspects of helo life. Because in rescue swimmer school, all you do is they take you up one time, you jump out of a helicopter one time, and you, you that's it. Everything else is done in the swimming pool and yeah. on the beach. Okay. And they just exercise you to death, swim you to death, and make sure that you're mentally capable of, and they teach you how to extract people out of, uh, out of, uh, 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 parachutes. Um, you do pull multis where where aviators are down. Uh, they light the pool on fire, and you go in, and it, just all kinds of scenarios that happen. Wow, know? yeah. And so then you go. To, there's all. And then you go to training, and uh, after that training, we went for a few weeks to Brunswick, Maine, and we did um, a Cirrus School, Search, Evade, Resist, Elude School. Um, that was a difficult one then. So we finally get stationed in Jacksonville. Um, and so uh, we move into an apartment. Uh, I'm in HS1. We haven't been here probably 
maybe two months, month and a half, and there's a knock at the door. And, uh, and I'm not even for sure if we had unloaded all of our boxes um, because I was in and out, in and out. Anyway, Fawn was alone. First time she's ever been without her mom and grandmother. And uh, oh, yeah. she's there. It's hard. Got Lauren. Um, we're in an apartment. We've never been in an apartment. We owned our own house. We're in uncharted water. Uh, she's probably lonely. Um, you know, I'm trying to do my best to figure the Navy life out and, you know, just all of that. And so there's a knock at the door and there's two ladies that are standing there inviting us to a concert scene and to church. And so I had a beer in my hand and I turned around and said, Vaughn, the door is for you. Yeah. So, uh, I went and sat back down in my chair and Fawn and I never talked about religion. I never told her what my mom and dad's church was. One time Fawn went to church with me and mom and dad, and they, it was a charismatic church. And I don't know if you've ever been to a charismatic church before, but, but these people run around the church and they, you know, they have the banner waivers and, and they're, they act all crazy, you know, and, and uh, the Holy, they're on the Holy ghost. And, and so, uh, that was the kind of church that we had gone to. So, but it was a charismatic church that taught value and principle. But when you're really looking at it, there are no values and principles. Oh man! I mean, yeah. if you make some of the people were saved and some other people weren't, like there'd be two ladies that always dancing in the spirit in the front of the church and acting all crazy, and after church they're lighting up in the parking lot, cigarette. <laughs> smoke, you know? So they're preaching it, but they're not living it. And so right. I, when I backslid, I was like, I'm not this is crazy it's a know, game. Yeah. as a high school kid yeah this isn't the game so i took fawn with me one time and one of the ladies takes off running around the church and um that lady grabbed fawn for some reason and took off around the church and when we left fawn said i'll never go to church <laughs> i was like well i'm clear of that don't have to worry about that anymore yeah we, we you know we were probably 19 at the time when that happened so fast forward they invite fawn to church and they and fawn um, stands there and and so uh, I'm leaving the next day to go on a deployment and um and uh just a one week deployment and I said well it probably wouldn't be good for you to go uh, you know just stay close here because we yeah. were fish out of the water right uh, really we were born and raised in Enid Oklahoma didn't didn't you know I've gone to uh, Kansas as a kid but when I got adopted, we didn't, I mean, we would take vacations and go snow skiing or, you know, we went to Daytona beach one year, my family, I had, in those short three years that I would lived with them. Uh, but, uh, we didn't, uh, so I get back as soon as I got back, we moved apartment because okay. they had a, a apartment on the, a, a apartment on the water. So we moved apartments and never got contacted by the victory chapel that knocked on our door uh, after that, they couldn't find us. We yeah. were just kind of around the corner, but uh, for some reason they never, you know, they, they just didn't contact us for probably nine months, maybe. Um, then there was another knock on the door and um, they invited us to church. Um, they got like, you ah, again. I don't know. They yeah, must've been again. persistent. So, well, they were just knocking on all the apartment doors, you know, and, yeah. and all the, uh, all, all of the uh, duplexes, they were duplexes in the same apartment. Building. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. But what we would do as as the duplexes that had that centered island thing with, you know, table, we were sitting there one night 
getting drunk. <clears throat> All the guys were getting drunk. The ladies had fed us or something, you know. And, and so one of the ladies said, hey, we ought to go to church tomorrow. All of us should go to church. And of course, some of us drunk guys were like, you know, very vulgarly telling them, you know, we ain't going to church. Uh, church is not for us. We, we're, you know, I remember telling, you know, uh, people, church people use Jesus as a crutch and I ain't got crutches. And, uh-huh. and so weak people go to church. And right. so I'm yeah, coming okay. up with all kinds of good excuses. Classic. And yep. so uh, long story short, the very next morning, some, they talked us all into going. Wow. So five, five families go to this girl's church and it happens to be Victory Chapel. Wow. So we wow. all walk in with our kids to this church and I've been to church before, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Vaughn and I were the only ones that put our kids in the nursery. Everybody else sat there with their kids. Pastor Meyer's church was probably 40 people at the time. Wow. Maybe 50, uh, 30 to 50 people. And when we walked in, we brought 25 people, I think, with us. That sounds like but a good day. we didn't day. know no different. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know no different. And Pastor Meyer told us later, we really were running about 25 people. But that one morning when you showed up, the Barclays came, some other families came that weren't part of our crew. We just all showed up to the church on the same day. Yeah. So there's 80 people in church. Wow. Pastor said my church tripled in one service. <laughs> <coughs> but we didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought that was so, the normal. Yeah, we just thought all these people are normal. <coughs> the the uh, Pastor Meyer preached a sermon. Altar call came. Vaughn raised her hand right up <coughs> to respond. <coughs> I didn't. I sat there in my chair and a man named Roger Slate. He walked up. <coughs> I got a bug in my throat. He walked up and he said, uh, hey, do you know Jesus? And I said, yep. And he said, you want to get saved? And I said, nope. <laughs> now, now, mind you, I'm all hung over. Yeah. I'm all hung over. And so uh, I had to dip a Copenhagen in my mouth. I mean, I dipped Copenhagen from daylight to dark. Mm. I just put it in and I always swallowed. <laughs> you know, I dipped Copenhagen all all day. Yeah. I just added to it. So I'm sitting there in church, reeking of alcohol and got a dip in. And this guy comes, sits down next to me at altar call. And I said, look, man, I don't mean to offend you, but I've probably forgotten more scripture than, than, you know, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm not interested in getting saved. I came because my wife wanted to come. I'm not, I'm, I'm a rescue swimmer in the military. I, I, I don't need Jesus. Mm. I've, it's where I'm at. I've talked to many people like you. <laughs> right. And so uh, he may, and I attribute to the whole, you know, my whole life, I just watch God and the Holy Ghost, how he's orchestrated all these intersections. Right. You know? Right. So uh, uh, he says, uh, if you leave here today, you may never have a chance to ask for forgiveness again, and you could possibly go to hell. Wow. But what he didn't realize is, is I had just gotten to my squadron, HS5. So I've, I've gone through all my training. Yep. I'm to my squadron. They make you fill out a top 10 goal sheet in your squadron. My number one goal was get out of the military alive. I don't, I don't want to have an air. I don't want to have a crash. I don't yeah. want to crash on the back of a ship. 
I, I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, because there, it's it's a real deal. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, helicopter oh. crashes are a real deal and you oh, die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, that was my number one. I just want to get out of this thing alive. I can't believe I signed up to be a rescue swimmer. This is crazy. It's fun and exciting, but I'm also a level-headed kind of guy. Right. I mean, I'm the life of the party. But I also have a few brains, I think. <laughs> Other people would tell you different, but. <laughs> yeah. Depends on who you talk who to. Jump, yeah, who jumps out of a perfectly good helicopter. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, that just struck a chord with me. And I said, you know what? You're probably right. And I said a sinner's prayer in my seat right there. Wow. And so Fawn comes back and she's just beaming. I mean, she is, she's got up she asked for forgiveness she felt forgiven and we drove home and i don't think i said two words i I know i didn't say two words yeah all afternoon she's beaming i'm mad (laughs) because i know that the decision i just made yeah and i'm a hundred percent i'm a hundred percent or no percent right that's just my makeup yeah right if i'm for it and i decide to do it it's 150 percent Ain't no mm. sense in doing it halfway. Right. Just me. So I'm I'm upset because I let that stupid guy talk me into making a deal <laughs> with Jesus. And Jesus is not one you want to make a deal with. Right. And not commit to it. And that's what's going on in my head. Yeah. So uh You're counting the cost. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to get to drink anymore. I'm not going to get to party with the guys no more. I'm um, Sundays are out the door. Maybe a Wednesday. And uh, this is the, if I'm going to do this, my parents did it. Yeah, I, it, and I know what it means to serve God. So that's well, crud. So for three weeks, I stayed. I stayed mad at God. Wow. We went to every because church he saved every, you. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> right and so we went to sunday morning sunday night we went back that night to sunday night none of the other people in the cul-de-sac went back to church yeah that's they unusual. all kept, they all kept partying in the uh in the center of our cul-de-sac and uh fawn and i went back sunday night to church um i remember telling fawn on the way home these people act like they're they're smiling and they're clapping but they don't live this kind of lifestyle every day fawn i'm just telling you. yeah i know how christian people like this live uh you've seen it i've seen this before uh-huh. i've seen people my mom you know you don't air your dirty laundry out you you hide all that's charismatic everything is perfect and right. so um and so they uh anyway uh she uh we go back wednesday night and uh i quit hanging out i i remember driving home and seeing the guys on the park bench and i jumped out of my car and ran into the house thinking nah you're not you, you're gonna you can't go there anymore. And so, you know, they're going, Hey, back. And I'm just walking to the house. Like, I don't know you anymore. Mm. I can't, you know, cause I know one beer and I'm done. Yeah. In the back of my head, I wanted to be saved. Yeah. But my flesh was screaming. Yeah. Just go over there and sit down and, and, and relax. Huh. But three weeks after I got saved, Pastor Meyer preached a sermon, and I can't remember what the sermon was, but he made a statement at the altar call. You don't have no joy. You don't have no victory. You don't have any hope. And the reason is because you will not confess Jesus Christ before man. 
Mm. If you'll if you'll just confess Christ before man, he'll give you joy and peace. And he's if you're not right, lift your hand. Just lift it up. Just put it right up. And I remember putting my hand up. And uh, I'm a rescue swimmer in the military. I'm the best there is. I, I don't have any weaknesses at all. <laughs> that's that's the mentality they put right. into you. Right. You know, you are the best. You're you're the best enlisted person. The SEALs can't do their job without us. So that's yeah. the mentality that they put into you. Right. And so I remember lifting my hand up and I remember walking to the front of the church and every step I took was, a, it was exhilarating. Mm. It, it was like, I'm really confessing Jesus that I'm a sinner and he's going to be Lord. If you'd like to hear the rest of this sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or $4.99 per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.